Hello? Hello? Oh, we're on the air. <laughs> Good morning. Good evening to our beloved saints in Europe. It's good to be with you this morning here at the in the Wisdom Seekers class. We're going to seek some wisdom. How about that? From God, not from me. Amen. So how is everyone today? Good. Thank you. That was not that was rhetor that was not rhetorical. Um, it's a wonderful day to be in the house of the Lord, and um, I look forward to a glorious day in his presence. Amen? So um, this morning, we're going we're gonna to talk about a couple, actually a couple of topics that I'm going to do my very best effort to overlay them and connect them. Um, you realize, or I realize, regularly that God is very multi-dimensional in his thought process and in, in the way that he, he thinks and he moves and he works in and through us. And there's so many principles that he has taught us over the course of the last 20-something years that, um, that we live. And... I, I don't know if there is any new word or revelation in this teaching, but I will say that, that this is where I've been. And in my intercession and before the Lord. And so you just go with what you got, guys. <laughs> and you go with who brought you. And so I, I really stand before you here, and I, I, I entitled this The Power of Hiddenness. And it's kind of a random title, but at the same time, it kind of sums up really what I'm trying to say or what I'm going to say in that as prophetic ones and as ones that are called to not only prepare the way, but to be the friend of the bridegroom, we continuously um, should be on this path of allowing him to in increase so that we can decrease. And uh, so... That, that's really the premise, a lot of the premise behind this, and then overlaying it or underlaying it upon really where we are as people and a lot of the things that have been spoken of over, the last, over this last season. So I do want to acknowledge the fact that they probably teach you in seminary or in some kind of a Bible college that you never begin a class, particularly probably a Sunday school class, with Matthew 24. <laughs> Yet that's where we're going to start. And... Um, it's it's because guys this is the this is this is the hour that we're living and uh and so we're going to start with matthew 24 and um, we're going to begin by talking about deception about being deceived or not being deceived and um this this particular matthew 24 we're going to begin with verse 4 but preceding this is when jesus comes and he speaks to his disciples about, remember about, about the temple and about how there won't be one stone that will be left because it will be torn down. And then the disciples come back and they ask him, okay, when will this be? And, and what are the signs that we should expect to see when, the, you know, when you're coming back and when the end shall be? And this is Jesus's response. And... Um, you know, in a lot of ways, you look at these passages and recognize that we are there. We may be on the, we may be on the doorstep. We may be all in it. I don't know. Only the Father knows that. I just know that you cannot read, read these passages of Scripture without acknowledging that these things are happening and that this is where we are. And so, because these are the words of Jesus, we learn from all the Scriptures, but when we see the the words from Jesus, we certainly want to take note to what he's warning us about and what he's telling us. And um, so we're going to start, and we're going to look at this word, plano, planeo. And I know that this has been mentioned recently, um, but we're just going to revisit it as we go through these passages. Amen? Okay. So Matthew 24, beginning with verse 4. And it said, And Jesus answered and said unto them, 
take heed that no man deceive you. And this word for deceive, this word plano or planeo, it means to roam or to cause to roam, to, to cause to go astray, to deceive, to err, to seduce, to cause to wander, or to be out of the way. And it, it comes from a word plano, which means fraudulent. It means to stray from orthodoxy or piety. It means to be in error, and it means to stray about. And, and the root of the, both of these words is planos, and it literally means an imposter, someone that misleads, leads in error, or is seducing, okay? And so Jesus is warning them, you know, what is the end going to look like? What is it going to look like before you come? You know, just as you, before you come. And, and this is what he says, you know, take heed that no man deceive you. Now, this word for man is the word tis, and it doesn't just mean man. It means anything, okay? It could be man, it could be woman, it could be anything. Don't let anything deceive you, cause you to go astray, cause you to wander, or to seduce you away from the truth, Okay? Now, the thing that, well, let me go ahead. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And so he says that many are going to come in my name and say that I'm a Christ. And it's, it's funny for me because literally what he's saying is they're going to come claiming my authority and, and saying that I am God's anointed one. And I always, it's funny because when I would think about this, I would always think that he was going to just appear like, you know, one of the pictures at Weir's, you know, like Jesus. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we have in our mind or what, what I guess society has portrayed Jesus to look like, you know, preferably he would look like the guy in Passion of the Christ. But, um, you know, I always looked at it that like, like he's going to come and look like Jesus, right? Or perhaps... If he's coming to deceive us, we got to recognize that he's not going to have two horns and a tail. He very, he very easily could look like us, right? And he probably will, or they will, because it's not just one. He said many will come and try to lead you astray. And so um, this is something that we, he says, take heed, that, that no man is able to do that. And then he says, and you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. And see that you not be troubled, for all these things must come to pass as the world system is being broken apart. And that has to happen, right? That has to happen. For nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. And all these are the beginning of sorrow. And this sorrow literally is like to travail as in giving birth. And so for us as intercessors, when we heed that time and we recognize this is happening, what, what do we do? We commit ourselves to intercession. We commit ourselves to the birthing of the Son of God. We, we, you know, we commit ourselves, we, 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 we posture ourselves to accept that commission of intercession. And that's what we do and that's, that's who we are and what we do. And so all these things are going to happen. Now, what are these things? I mean, what are these things and are they happening? Well, they are Religious deception. Are we seeing that? Social and political upheaval. <laughs> Have y'all been on Facebook lately? I mean, it's crazy. Or even in, in the news, in the media, it's crazy. I mean, so much social and political upheaval that is, it's really seducing. <laughs> it's so seducing. It is so decept deceiving and seducing. Just the nature of what it is. It draw, you know, it, it has the tendency to want to, to want to draw you in, and tap the passion, right? That, and and try to twist your passion to to partner to agree. That's happening. That's deception. That's happening. Natural calamities. We've been seeing those for years. And um, disloyalty. Are we seeing that? Yeah, we're seeing that. And then of course persecution. And and this is one that I know that. We, we can say that we've seen and that we've experienced, and I think a lot of us personally have experienced that on a very, uh, probably minimal level compared to considering the, the birthing of the early church and what the apostles, the disciples had to experience in those early days. 
I mean, they were severely persecuted to the point of martyrdom. And uh, I'm not declaring that. I'm not prophesying that. I'm just saying God has prepared us in some ways for the persecution. But I, I, I don't think that we've really seen that in full force. Am I wrong? Would you agree? I mean, I know the church is persecuted regularly, right? Um, but us as a body, we have not, thankfully, had to endure too much persecution, right? I, I, correct me if, if you're dealing with it like every day and you're being like waterboarded and, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But you know, in a lot of ways, I mean, I feel persecuted in my soul. I feel persecuted every day when I, when I, when I, my spirit, um, I guess, identifies with the disloyalty and, and the deception that, that tries to creep into our network. And so it's, I guess you could just define it um, or acknowledge it in different ways. But anyway, so those are the things. And then they shall deliver you up to be afflicted. I wish I could just skip this part, but I can't and kill you and you shall be hated of all nations for my namesake. Hallelujah. And then shall many be offended. And this is something we gotta be careful of guys because you know, <laughs> we don't wanna be offended. When he, we, we, just, we don't want to fall prey to that. We wanna stay in this momentum of grace and not allow that offense and that root of bitterness to get us in any way, no matter what happens to us and God is, I mean, he's walked us through this in so many different levels and so many different ways over the past. And, and hopefully and prayerfully, we have overcome that. Um, and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise and lead many away from the truth and deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound or increase or multiply in agape, and the love of many shall wax cold. Now, agape is breathing hard after God's purpose. And this wax cold literally means to breathe cold. So it turns, it twists that um, really what agape really is and turns it into cold. Yeah. Just the opposite. Yeah, just exactly, yeah, just the opposite. Hmm. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved, shall be delivered, protected, healed, and made whole. But he that endures until the end, the same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all the nations, and then shall the end come. And so Jesus is warning his disciples against this false prophetic, the false teaching. And he sketches for us like the prevailing influences and the conditions that are going to happen. We've seen those things. But all the while, while he's doing that, what is he doing? He's stating the continuing task, right? He's stating the mission. He's saying, no matter what's happening around you, you continue with the task that I've given you. And what is that task? That task is that we see that the gospel of the kingdom is preached throughout all the world. That's what we're doing. That's what we do when we go up in that room up there and, and speak over the airways. That's what pastor's doing when he stands at the pulpit on Sunday morning and he speaks the truth and he speaks scripture. That's what we're doing. We are preaching the kingdom in all the world for a witness. And this witness, of course, is the word martyr. It's as we've laid down our lives according to his purpose. We are a witness. We are a witness unto all the nations. And then the end shall come. So all these things are happening. But what I want to focus on right now, um, first of all, is the, the acknowledging the recognition of this. And this is something we've been talking about for weeks, but um, this is where God took me, so this is where we are. But to recognize that in the midst of the difficulties, in the midst of all the things that will be happening around us, no matter how close they get to us, our, ta our, our hearts and our, our posture has to be persevering in spreading the gospel, persevering in spreading the message. That's who we are. That's what he's called us to do. And that's, as disciples, as apostles, that's what we do. And so that will not stop. That will continue. And that, that absolutely. But then the second thing I really want to touch on, and when I said this is really where I've been, this is really where I've been. 
is where he says, and he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And, and this is something that we have studied. This is something that has been taught over and over that's been written about. And that's this, this word for endure, which is this word hypomeno. Okay? It's the word for patience. It is so significant for us. It is so significant for us because I want to endure to the end. Don't you? And I want to know how to do it. And what Jesus, my Lord and Savior, says to me in this passage, this is how I do it. I do it by staying under, remaining under my appointed place of abiding. Okay? I gave you the Strong's definition. This is completely and totally a refresher for you. But we've studied about minnow. We've studied about abiding. Okay? We understand what that means. Abiding literally is becoming one with God, abiding with him. We, you know, we've studied about the vines and the branches, and we recognize that outside of him there is no life. It is that oneness. It is that unity. It signifies our relationship with him and our purpose with him together. It is our willingness to stand according to his eternal purpose, to know him and to serve him in his ways, in his calling and election, at his election moment, whatever that entails. That is abiding. That is minnow. And so hypomeno is staying under that, being covered with that, being behind that, that being before you, that covering you. And you know, we talk, you know, we talk about, you know, we go out and travel and people come, I know, come to pastor and they say, we want you to be our covering. And I understand that. People want a covering. It makes them feel safe and secure and like they belong. And that's a spiritual principle that is a principle for us within the realm of authority, right? We have a covering. But this is the covering that we need. Is that covering of staying under our place of abiding, okay? And staying under that, staying committed and devoted in our election and our calling, that will keep us. That will cause us to endure through all these things, through all the deception right is that so i gave you the strong definition i also gave you just the mnemonicos understanding of it from just the different writings that have come out um, and the different teachings it is literally cheerful endurance so we do all this we stay under no matter what's happening no matter how challenging it is no matter what affliction tribulation any of that stuff no matter what national cal calamities natural calamities happen no matter who's trying to deceive you or trying to creep into this network and bring deception, leading us astray, leading those we love astray, we maintain a cheerful endurance. And then here's this mnemonicos definition. To remain under our appointed place of abiding, to stay under the covering of what we are called to do, to abide in our identity and full devotion to God's plan, committing to serve him in his ways, in our calling and election, in his divine timing, no matter what challenges arise. As we do, we gain access into him and his power. It implies being hidden. This is the ultimate manifestation of humility as we yield to his process of contrition, being pruned and brought to the root or base level, bare before him through contrition and absolute submission to his ways and will. I love this. And this is where I've been. Quite by, not by my design, but by God's design. Um, and it leads me back to what I said in the beginning. We have got to allow him to increase so that we can decrease. We have got to be those that, if I'm standing here before you, and this, this, this was John the Baptist, okay? If I'm standing here before you as he stood there to prepare the way, my willingness to decrease should increase the view, the understanding, the revelation of who Jesus is. I don't want people to see me. I want people to see him through me. That's, that is decreasing and him increasing in us. And may our decrease, may our place in that, in that our place of abiding, and, and in the process of that, the decrease within that, increase this generation's view of who he is. 
You know, we can't. Uh, yeah. And there, there, in that place where you're willing to be that branch that is pruned, when you're willing to, to be that base person, when you're willing to go into that place, uh, that solitary wilderness place, and allow him to continue to prune you and decrease you, when you're willing to do that, that, my friends, is being a witness to the nations. That is the witness. And that, that is who we have to be, and that is who we are. And as we do that, he becomes greater. Well, he's, he's never going to be greater than he is because he's already the greatest that can be, but you know what I'm saying. In us, he becomes greater as we become less. Anybody have a comment? So this is patience, okay? And, God, you know, God has had us, I mean, he's taught us about patience. He's taught us about the spiritual understanding of patience and also just the natural understanding of patience. I mean, we've been laboring for 20 years, and how often has it that we've thought, Lord, we thought that by now we would be here. By now we would be here. By now we would be here. But he's, teach, he's taught us. He's taught us through every stage of that to say, you are in my election moment. This is your calling. If this is it, this is it. This is glorious because you are in me and you are doing according to where I have you and what I'm having you to do. But in the midst of that, in the midst of our stance and in that patience, as we take that stand and say, we won't move no matter what happens. The trials that come, because we will be tested, and we are tested. And if you're not being tested, I challenge you to ask the Lord to try you. Try your faith. <laughs> but those trials only perfect the work of our heart, and they, they only prepare us and, and, and really refine us to a place to where we are bare before him. And I really, you know, I, you know, God just kind of amazes me so often. He doesn't kind of amaze me. I'm really trying to get rid of those words that when I was working, I was working in a professional career, and we had to do a lot of, like, presentations in front of executive, executives, and that was fun training at this bright young age of 21 or 22 or 23, 24, 25. Anyway, and so we would, like, have all-day management meetings where we would talk about being effective and things like that. And um, somebody coined the term weasel words. And they, they, you know, it was always like driven home to us that we get rid of the weasel words in our library, in our library, in our vocabulary. And I, I've never forgotten that. And so when I use a weasel word, which I just did, it always like, I always want to stop and say no. And I, I hear people use weasel words. This is, I can't believe I'm telling you. Um, but kinda is a weasel word, <laughs> even though sometimes it is kinda, right? But um, anyway, I don't even know what I said. I'm weaseling with words. <laughs> yeah. I, honestly, I don't even know what I said when I used that word. Oh, I said we're kind of in a season. No. I want to be confident in, 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 in where I know that we've been. And, and from my perspective, I, I feel like God has had us in this season really where we've been tested because in some ways there's betrayal and and you know living in this world we're always going to experience that kind of thing but um it, it's really been a time of testing for us and and in a time where or i guess a season where he's drawing us into a place of that endurance a place where we do acknowledge and commit ourselves fully to our place of abiding, to stay under that place of abiding, our place of patience, um, but where our hearts really are fixed and fully devoted, even in the midst of the heart, of the challenge of the painful. And, um, you know, it really does cause you to surrender to that place of vulnerability, but also to recognize that we are in the shadow of his wing and we are firmly established in our identity 
And as we wait upon him, as we stay in this place of, of patient endurance, we align ourselves perfectly with his heart and with his intent and with his plan for us. Because he knows the timetable and we gotta trust him to, to lead us through that perfectly and according, accordingly. So he's preparing us and, and, and he's telling us we need to take heed of these things and to make sure that, that we are firmly established um, under that covering of, of our place of abiding in him. And um, so, amen? And as we do that, we will endure to the end and we will be saved. Have I stunned you all? Yeah. Exclamation point. <laughs> Exclamation point. Okay, so the next passage that we're going to look at, we're going to look at a few passages um, that use this word deceive. And this is just a little, there's a few, there's some passages in between this. We're going to jump down to Matthew 24. Oh, Lord. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets and shall show, shall show, Great or mega signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Now, this passage has always baffled me because we, we quote this all the time. I quote this all the time. The very elect will be deceived. The very elect will be deceived. The very elect will be deceived. But do we consider the fact that it says, if it were possible? And honestly, I mean, I looked at 17 different translations of this and got nowhere. <laughs> So I'm going to go where I'm going here because I feel like this is somewhat of our answer. So the very elect shall be deceived if it is possible. What is the very elect? And once again, this is a refresher for us, but something that I think is, is, is worth um, revisiting because we are the very elect, and this, of course, is the electos. And so I gave you a little breakdown of, of, of the family of these words because this really um, enunciates for us or describes for us our identity and our function as a people, as individually, as a church, and before the Lord. And so, um, electos, eclectos, sorry about that, eclectos. Um, we're gonna start with eclego, okay? Because I just want you to understand the full picture of where we're going here. The eclego, eclego, is that systematic application of a complete plan. It's a structural term that indicates that we are to follow the stage of development that God entrusts in consideration of his overall plan. Specific pieces of obedience applied to the eternal design and pattern of the purpose of God. So the eclego is the complete plan, okay? It's the, it's the, it's the complete plan, but the systematic applications, the points of obedience that we honor in our walk with him and in our service to him. Does that make sense? That's the eclego. Does that make sense? Okay. Okay. And then we have the ecclesia. And we understand this is the governing body for the implementation of his overall plan, of his will. That's the church, right? The ecclesia. According to Jesus Christ, our commune with the Father and revelation from him in conjunction with the assignment of Christ-like duties and responsibilities forms the ecclesia, forms the church, okay? So that's, the, that's, that's us, that's the church, that's, that's our functioning body. And then from there we have the eclectos, which is the very elect, which the enemy targets to deceive. And that is us. That is those that are entrusted with the application and supervision of this structural obedience, okay? So that's you and me. We, the eclectos, exist and function with the, within the ecclesia, within the ecclesia, this is challenging, lots of, lots of challenging words, doing all that is necessary to apply the plan of God within the realms of our lives, responsibility, and giftings. And then lastly, you have the eclogo, which um, 
This is like the election. God lays out his plan for us and puts us in a position to move forward in that plan. And we are the remnant according to the election of his grace. Okay, so the, the ek logo is, is as he lays his plan out, he positions us in his grace to move forward in it. So that's like the fuel of the function. So God has an eternal plan. And it is employed after we are saved and born again. We accept this, this, this measure of, of, of identity and responsibility before him. Um, we accept our timely portion of responsibility of this plan, which is the eklego. And the body of Christ, the church, is entrusted with individual and corporate assignments of obedience and service, which is the ecclesia. And then the individual calling of God and our identity as the chosen ones, as the, the very elect, is the eclectos. Okay? And that, that's the structure. But which part does the enemy hit? Which part is the enemy targeting here to deceive? The eclectos. The uh, us as individuals, the individual ones. Because if he can ground us individually, one by one, a house divided will not stand. So he doesn't necessarily, he does come against the church, he does come against the ecclesia, but the deception comes in the heart of man. It comes in us individually before the Lord. That's why it's our responsibility to stay in that place of hubomina, to stay in that place of abiding, to stay so fixed in our identity and our calling before him and to stay under that because I can't get up under Debbie's to be saved. I have got to be in my own place of abiding, my own place of identity, my own place of function before the Lord and fully committed to that or else the enemy will come and try to deceive me and will be successful. However, and Pastor, I could ask you about this. Um, you know, it still baffles me that it, the text reads, if it were possible. Is it possible in that place to deceive us? Do I need a mic? Fran, where's your mic? He, he lowered it. Yeah. Ooh. Well, I think, I think the thing you've got to look at here is the, the insertion of this word, which is basically dunamis, which is function. It's something fulfilling what it's intended to do, something. And, you know, nothing is as explosive as function. Um, uh, that, that demonstration of an identity or that springing to life of something uh, is, is what dunamis is. So you've got, you've got signs, wonders, and dunamis, which is the three. That's the pattern of three that you find, you know, signs, wonders, and miracles. That, that pattern of three that we've studied a lot in scripture. So the, the way these guys, false Christs and false prophets, come is they, they come to the dunamis and say, what in you is frustrated? What in you is not functioning the way you think it should or as fast as you think it should? What objective do you have that is itching that you want to have scratched? Where do, you, where do you see in impatience something that you want that you don't have? And that's really the essence of sin itself. You know, you, 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 you want a new coat and you don't have the money for it, so you go and knock off the Piggly Wiggly to get the money to buy the coat. I mean, what do you want that causes you to take an alternative pathway? And that's targeted, which is why it is if it were possible if it were dunamis. But it'll present a new measure of sign or identity or, or calling. 
and it presents a new wonder, a new way that this works in the seal of thing. So it's basically superimposing something in your life following the same principles you follow, and but but with a new objective, a new identity, a new means. So if it's going to if it's going to follow that pattern, you got to get rid of the old pattern. You keep the pattern process, but you get rid of the old pattern. You know, it's, it's just like line upon line. It's just like the principles that God teaches us that then are built upon. People don't reject that. They don't, they don't get rid of that because that's, that's ways that function. Even the enemy said, I'll be like the Most High. I'm going to apply his his processes. It's what Eve was said. To, it's what Eve was told by, by the serpent. What has God said? And so he takes those words and then he superimposes, you can be like him. You, know, you don't have to wait every day for the cool of the day. You can be like him. So, you know, just sidle over to this other tree. It's real near the, the tree you're supposed to be with. But you know, so really what this is, is a superimposing of a different plan. But if it be possible, you know, instead of staying hupomeno, staying under the directive of God, and we all know what that's like. We, we say at the beginning, we just want to serve Him. All we want to do is be with Him. And then along the way, we start getting some ideas of what we're going to get through it, or what's going to happen through it. And if it doesn't happen that quickly, which God never promised, then we get frustrated. And we, we, feel, we feel parts of us that, that get agitated, want to get out and run away, you know? And um, so we look for something new to fulfill that. And so that's how this happens. It's, it's not like you said, coming in with a pitch fork and horns. It's saying, you know, you've been at this for a while. You're the eclectos. You know, where, where is the thing? Our Lord delays his coming. You know, where is the thing that you, that you really want to have? What in your life is not being fulfilled? You must be missing something or people are keeping you from it. Well, we can bring that function to you. So keep to yourself teachers to scratch those itching ears. And wander off into the planos just roaming with no clear objective. You just roam wherever you want. That's how Plano got its name. It's not because the people that live up there are forgers and uh, with all respect to the stewards and ne'er-do-wells. It's just from here. Hey, look, look at that big prairie up there. We could just roam and develop. And so I think I know that's what this is because it, it appeals to something along the way, and we all have it. That's what patience is. But see, that's why you have to submit yourself to that process of humility and refining and pruning. So all that stuff, you truly are the martyr. You truly are dying to your flesh because what you describe really is impatience. It's, yeah. it's contrary to what patience or hupomino really is. Yeah. Did see, you say that? You remember the disciples several times we're trying to pull this number on Jesus. Will you at this time send down? You know, let's grab a sword and cut off the servant of Malchus's ear. You know, let's, let's reset the table to get a fulfillment. Um, even David with the sons of Zariah. You know, let me go up there and cut the head off this dog. No, 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 leave him alone. You know, we got to stick with the plan. You know, Saul's here's here's Saul over in a cave. You can get him right now. This will all be over with. No, no, no. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna abandon God's anointing. And I'm not gonna manhandle it and make it something that would be more convenient for me. It's that pattern. But if it be possible, it's funny because again, signs, wonders, miracles, it's that same progression over and over again in the scripture. But here it says signs, wonders, and if it be. Yeah, that, that's, that's a big one. So it's all about what brings fulfillment. It's all about what, 
scratches that itch that you never you say you surrender. You know, I've often wondered, somebody that for years and years and years keeps saying they're trying to surrender something, really doesn't want to surrender it. You know, it's what Jack Hayford said one time about this guy that kept showing up in his office wanting counsel. And he says, you know, Pastor Jack, I'm struggling. And Pastor Jack said, no, you're not. You're just refusing to stop sinning. And it's true. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, you didn't ask me to take over. No, I, no I appreciate that because I, I did kind of get stuck just on the way that it's written. If it were possible, I like, almost yeah. like it's not possible, and it's not possible if we stay in the place where we're to stay and we stay committed, and mm -hmm. right, mm -hmm. it's not possible. But we got, we got to know Him. We got to stay in that place of communion. We got to stay in that place of abiding, and um, and I love this passage. I think this was touched on maybe recently. Second Peter one ten. Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling an election, eklogo, we looked at that word, sure, for if you do these things, you shall never fall. You know, and you wonder too, just, just listening to what you were talking about, you wonder why people leave the church. Because they get into this pattern and they get into this place of deception and this self-serving kind of self-serving kind of way and and that does not fit into the function or the workings of all these ek words you know the way the the way that it works it doesn't it, it can't stand in that so they really have no choice than to leave the body to leave the ecclesia right it's not just because they don't like us anymore it's because it's like light and darkness can't Abide together. You had ask about, is it possible, you know, to be in the right place and be deceived? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and um, I'm just observing here, here now that with Peter, Second Peter 1 and 10 that you just read, if I were to have a choice to get some valuable insight as how not to fall. I think Peter would be that choice. He fell how many times? <coughs> and so while, uh, while yes, we could always fall, uh, we won't fall if we do these things, according to the man who was always falling. That's right. <laughs> yeah, who better to learn from? Exactly. We've got to know him, and and this is you know this has been spoken so many times. How do you know the counterfeit by knowing the real? And we we have to stay in that place and stay committed, and stay under that covering. And two, re remember who he is, and that he doesn't change according to the circumstances and according to the things that we walk through. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so if we have our place in him. And the God that we know, it doesn't matter what we have to endure. He's still God, and he's still holy, and he's still sovereign. And he's still our source of all things. And, and, and we praise him, and, and that, that really helps. <laughs> Amen? And so our last um, few passages referencing this word for deception for Plano is going to segue us into the, the last part of this teaching, and that is um, we're going to talk about the wilderness, the solitary place, um, that place of, of hiding, that place of covering. But before we do, I want you to notice from the teachings of Jesus um, the two places that Jesus noted where we can be deceived or go astray. And these are in the two um, parables where he talks about the sheep. The first is in the mountains, and the second is in the wilderness or the Eremos, which we're going to talk about in a few minutes. We're going to start with talking about the mountain, um, Matthew 18, 11 through 14. For the Son of Man has come to save that which is lost. How think ye if a man have a hundred sheep, and one of them has gone astray, or has been deceived, doth he not leave the ninety-nine and go into the mountain and seek him, seek that which has been deceived or gone astray? And if so be that he find it, verily I say to you, he rejoices more 
of that sheep than of the ninety-nine that went not astray or deceived. Even so, it is not the will of your Father which is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. And, and God is love, and God wants all of us to not be deceived and to, to stay with him. That, that's a given, absolutely. But what I want to focus on is the reality that the enemy, you know, when the enemy, when, when Jesus was cast into the wilderness to be tempted, he was tempted on the mountain, he was tempted in the wilderness, and he was tempted on the pinnacle of the temple, right? The enemy will appear to you. What does the mountain represent? And I don't know if there's ever really been a study about that. We've studied so much about the wilderness, but what does the mountain represent? Well, through scripture, I would say his power, right? His presence, his nearness to him, um, high moments of success, spiritual success or promotion, divine inspiration, because Moses would go up there and he would speak to him. Um, it also represents obstacles that might stand in our way, you know, the grace, grace to the mountain, right? But this is a strategic place where the enemy could come and try to deceive us. Now, we think we're on top of the mountain, and we all have those hills and valley experiences, right, where we're in the very presence of God, and it's glorious, and we don't ever want to move. But the enemy knows that, and, and that is a target for him to come and to try and deceive. So even the most spiritual of our brothers and sisters can be prone to being led astray or even leading astray. Um, yeah. Monica. Yes. Um, I, just, I was just thinking about, you know, the mountain. I mean, you hit on a lot of the things that it represents. But how does that connect with going astray? Well, I, you know, early when I was a young boy, we would go into the mountains and we would camp. And the terrain is very rugged, and it's easy to get lost. So navigating in the midst of, the, of mountainous terrain is so important. And, and maybe that's some of the things that, you know, when you're, when you're there, maybe we, we, may not, we may not recognize that we're there, and we go AWOL in some sense, and we don't know how to navigate. And um, I just think that's interesting that he uses the, the mountains in this, in this passage. And it's, like you said, he, it's never his intent that any should perish. He says little ones here, but, I mean, he doesn't want people to, to be led astray and, and look after other things and another... Um, Look at the scenery and how wide open it is. I mean, he doesn't want that. That's never in his thinking and in his heart. So whose heart is it? Well, it's the intent of the enemy. Yeah. And he's going to do, he wants to try to do everything he can to bring deception. And we have to be very careful. I mean, every one of us in this room, myself, every one of us, because this stuff is being released in this hour in very uh, subtle ways. And if we don't stay under the covering of his presence, we could be deceived. I know. And that's, that's the important thing. Um, and we as sheep, we don't need to, you know, I just encourage all of us to not listen to any other voice. And, um, but anyway, that's just kind of a thing about the mountains that I remember as a young boy. Thank you, Mark. And then we have the wilderness, which is the solitary place. And, and this has been in so many ways our training ground. Both of these places are our training ground. But we're gonna focus primarily on the wilderness because like I said in the beginning, this is kind of where I've been. Not kind of, this is where I've been. <laughs> Weasel word. Luke 15, 1 through 7. Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, The man receives sinners and eats with them. And he spoke this parable unto them, saying, What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he loses? Now, this is a different word. It's a word that literally means to destroy or to perish. One of them. And doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that lost sheep until he find it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and he rejoices. And um, 
everything's wonderful because he has found the lost sheep. And so this happens in the wilderness. There is deception in the wilderness, yet at the same time, that wilderness place is a place of power and a place, it's, it's that place where you are in, in, in a place of, of, of solitude. You are a play, in a place where you are completely and totally unapplauded, uncelebrated, unseen, almost probably feel like it's wasted, but it is never wasted. It is so prolific. But the enemy knows this, and he targets his place in us because he knows that we are being prepared and strengthened in our identity in that place of the wilderness. It's so important. Um, in the desert and in the mountains, Satan tried to lure Jesus. He tried to lure him as his prey and lure him captive um, with immediate gratification, with man's attention and all, with the world's power and possessions. But his strategies failed because he was Jesus, because he was God. But at that time, he was, he was, purely, he was man. He endured the same temptation that we would endure. He was not being God out there. He was being man, being tempted by the enemy. But what prepared him for that? Well, I think it was the 30 years leading into that. I think that all those years of hiddenness with his father prepared him for that temptation. And that is what has prepared us for this day. We've wondered why has God not just put his glory cloud above this church so that every man, woman in the whole world could see it and would be drawn to it. Because he loves us enough to, to prepare us and to strengthen us so that we could stand in this day. So that we could stand and be faithful to be the ones that endure to the end, that take as a witness the gospel of the kingdom to the nations. And that has been our training ground in so many ways. And it will continue to be. But it's the very place that the enemy attempts to deceive or lead astray. And um, yet it's a place of grace. And it's a place where we are drawn and strengthened and matured. Um, and made ready to, to pay, patiently endure and to thrive. So there's really such beauty and power in that solitary place. And um, it's, it's, it's wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful. And you would think with Jesus... That once that temptation was over, man, he'd get the heck out of there and never go back. But throughout his ministry, three years here upon the earth, he continuously went back to that solitary place. And it says it through scripture. He went back and prayed. He took his disciples there. And um, because he, he, he knew the vitality that was in that, that solitary place before the Lord, that desolate place, that, that place of the wilderness. Um, Amen. It's kind of like the winter, you know, I think about the seasons and, and, you know, in the winter time when, when everything looks bare, it's not barren at all. It's the same with the wilderness because life still is there. In fact, it's really more abundant in the winter than it is in the summer when everything's blooming and beautiful. Um, because what the plenty of summer hides the nakedness of winter reveals, and that is the infrastructure. And, and it reminds me, too, of, um, have you ever heard of the, the glacier principle? Or the iceberg principle? The iceberg principle is that 90% is unseen, and 10% of an iceberg is seen, and yet it is indestructible. It is literally indestructible. And in so many ways, that's where God has brought us, where the 90% is unseen. We are hidden. I'm telling you, I have been in this place before the Lord where I have just been reflecting on where he has brought us and the, the many, many years where we have been hidden. And we've been this Bethlehem existence. And it absolutely sometimes frightens me to think that we would be exposed, even though he has strengthened our structure so faithfully through that time because we've stood during this time so that when these things happen like we talked about in Matthew 24 when deception comes that 90% of our infrastructure is it is which is unseen which he has built for us in us through us it can't be destroyed that's who we are as a people and so don't despise those those times of 
of where you are unapplauded and unseen and hidden because that is the, the place where you are being strengthened. And he knows all things. He knows where he's taking you. And he's preparing you through those times to, um, to be able to stand. And once again, I'm coming to the end, and I have not even touched on. <laughs> so um, let's just skim through this, and let's, let's look at um, just the way that this, this Eremos, this, this place of the wilderness, was so significant for us through Scripture. Now, we've studied it really more in the Old Testament, the, the Midbar, and we will touch on that in just a sec. But um, John the Baptist, right, he came Preaching in the wilderness, prepare the way, prepare the way, make the path straight, put out of the way anything that would hinder the complete triumph of fulfilling God's purpose. That was spoken forth by his voice in the wilderness. These things have to be addressed and dealt with in the desert. They do. They have to be addressed because what he's addressing, the things that could stand in the way of hindering God's complete purpose are those things that we've talked about, which are those reasons why we need to decrease so that he can increase in us, okay? And so John the Baptist, he, he truly, um, he lived that, and he, he was an example for us in that. Plus the solitary place, I mean, you think about it, prepare the way of the Lord. He knew his mission so clearly. Gosh, from the time he was in his mother's womb, they knew. And he, he chose to go into the wilderness. He chose to go and live that existence in the wilderness because that wilderness is a place where perspective and identity and focus is so clear. It's so clear. And true, it, it truly reveals who we really are on the inside and what we need to become. So it's a place of strengthening. Um, Luke 3, 2 says, The word of God came unto John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness, in the Eremos. And so I just want to touch a little bit on this word for midbar. And this is the word the Old Testament word for, for wilderness, which we studied a long, long time ago. But that voice that comes out of you from the wilderness, it literally speaks of that undeveloped word that is yet to manifest or is yet to be fulfilled. And so when we accept our place in the wilderness, we accept our place to partner with the Lord and what has yet to been fulfilled, what is yet undeveloped. So when we, he calls us into the wilderness, into that season, we, we need to commit to partnering with him in what is coming, okay? And in, in that undeveloped word that, that is not yet come forth. But it also speaks of the murmuring and why murmuring is so much unacceptable, particularly in the, the wilderness, because in that place, if you murmur, you're going to be overcome. If you choose not to murmur, you will overcome, and that is just a spiritual principle. And so in this month of the fast of feasting, if we are in the wilderness place, which I love, let us not murmur, okay? And then John, it also says in Luke 180, and, he, and the child grew and waxed strong in spirit and was in the desert till the day of his showing into Israel. So he chose to live in that wilderness um, existence. And as he did that, he grew and he became strong in spirit, really to prepare him for what light ahead for him. Um, which was a powerful ministry as the friend of the bridegroom. Amen? Amen. And then Jesus, we find in two accounts, Jesus went into that solitary place. Um, in Mark 1, verse 35, it says, And in the morning, rising up of a great while before day, he went out and departed into the Eremos, into the wilderness, and he prosuchamide. And we understand that this prosuchamide is really going before the Father in supplication and gaining clarity of a word from him that addresses a need that we in turn partner with him in releasing in our prayer declaration. And so the wilderness place is a place of prosukamai. It's a place where we go and we make supplication before the Lord and we bring forth that, that declarative, prophetic, declarative, prayerful, um, prayerful word in partnership with the Lord. I, this just happened to me like this last week. I was just bopping along with my schedule during the week, and I had a lot to do. And I think it was Thursday morning, and I woke up and I did my early morning routine, and you know I had a whole list of things I needed to do, and I felt the Spirit say, no. <laughs> I 
I'm drawing you into this solitary place. And, like I had work here at the church to do. And, and I obediently had to say okay. And I felt this just incredible like weightiness. And I, I, could, I could give you the details of what it was I knew God was having me make supplication for. But I'm, I'm not, I don't have time to do that. And it's not really necessary. But it was something very personal to me. And so I, I went into the prayer room. And I spent the entire day in this place of solid solitude before the Lord, um, really in supplication on behalf of the weightiness of what he had put within me. And, and in that measure of obedience, after a number of hours, I had this most incredible clarity. I mean, just absolute clarity of what I had been praying for and how he wanted me to partner with him in seeing the fulfillment of, of the need that, that, that I was addressing. And so I'm so thankful for that. But it, you guys, it works. <laughs> I'm just here to say that, it, that it, it works. So be sensitive to that and, and, um, and know that he's calling you. And then Jesus, it says in Luke 4:42, it says, And when it was day, he departed and went into the airmost place, and the people sought him and came unto him. This was a challenge Jesus had because he tried to get away, and they continuously just berated him and followed him and he would have compassion for them and end up doing miracles and feeding them um but it says in that place it says and he said unto them i must preach the kingdom of god to other cities and therefore i am sent and so in that place that solitary place before the lord in that wilderness place we do gain that burden for the mission and we do feel that um can feel that urge to go and preach the kingdom of god and then the feeding of the five um, thousand, the five and two fishes. This is another scenario where he actually led his disciples into the desert. And I love what he said. It says, and he said unto them, come ye yourselves apart unto the desert place and rest. So he's telling them to rest. And this word for rest, it get, it's like permission to cease from movement or labor in order to recover and gain strength in calm, quiet, patient expectation. So I love that. I'm constantly saying, Lord, if you want me to, to come away and rest, I'm all in. Um, so he called them away so that they could do that. And then almost immediately they began to minister. And then that was the feeding of the 5,000 with the five loaves. And then the last two in the last minute, uh, the church in the wilderness and the tabernacle of testimony. The two examples that we have of the beginning with the exception of, um, I guess, the early church in the book of Acts. But these two great examples that are in the New Covenant, in Acts 7 and in Acts, well, both of them in Acts 7, speak of the church in the wilderness. And this was really the whole experience that Moses had when he led the people into the, the, the wilderness um, for, 40, for 40 years. All the things that happened, where the, the, the burning bush, where the voice of the Lord came, where Moses got his commission to go and deliver them, um, where he showed great signs and wonders and he parted the Red Sea. And then he said, um, he references that church in the wilderness where they received those lively or oracles. That is the place. That is our place. Our place is in the wilderness. Our place is positioned before him and all these things that we've talked about. And then we, we come down to this tabernacle of testimony, which we just entered into last Sunday night. Um, in heaven is the tabernacle, the, the, the temple of the tabernacle of testimony. And the prototype of that was what Moses built in the wilderness. And so I say all that to say that solitary place where we are hidden, where we are unseen, where we, we come under that covering of who he is and our identity and our purpose is so important for us. And, and, and even in times, because like with Jesus, I mean, in the midst of his public ministry, he would get away to the solitary place. So as God gradually brings us into the public, which I'm sure he's going to do, we have got to know this place and be able to draw back or be led of him there. And just as in the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness, know that it is a place of fellowship, of commune, of strengthening, of, of nourishment, of clarity, of insight, but most importantly, it's a place of intercession. It's a place where we commune with him on behalf of his purpose, because that's what happens in the tabernacle of witness in heaven. And this is just a prototype of it here upon the earth, and we are demonstrating that even now here upon the earth. 
And so it should be something that's very familiar to you. You should know this place. And I would just want to encourage you that if you're feeling tired, if you're feeling worn, if you're feeling in any way like you need um, to be, I guess, um, strengthened, position yourself to, 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 to step into that place of the wilderness, even though it could appear dry and barren. The Lord is there, and he is there to strengthen us and to partner with us and to really help us to decrease so that he can increase, so that we can be all that he created us to be and there and thus accomplish all that he's called us to accomplish. Amen? And I've gone seven minutes over. So, Father, thank you. Um, we bless you today, and I just ask, Lord, that you would, um, your presence would just abide in this house and that we would truly just honor and love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.